and welcome back to Real Clear with Dr. Klein, the crossroads of politics and psychology. If you would like to listen to ad-free episodes and have access to daily and weekly releases, essays, and other membership perks, and you also want to help in the production of this program, go to realclearpodcast.com and click subscribe. There are a lot of places in this world where you can put your money, and so I thank you for considering membership to realclearpodcast.com. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Real Clear. I hope you enjoy this next episode. As always, please consider going to realclearpodcast.com and supporting the show through the link to Patreon or Locals if you haven't already. And if you can't do that, please consider clicking that like or subscribe button in whichever app you're using. I appreciate all of you. All right, let's get into it. Hi, everybody. You can find this episode written in my substack, Real Clear with Dr. Klein. Some current prominent authors have written and spoken exhaustively about the demoralization of men in the United States. But I would like to suggest here that women are feeling beleaguered and demoralized in a way that is unprecedented in recent American history. From my perspective, the causes include the erosion of traditional family life and with it a role that women played vitally in the world in an evolutionary sense, and also socially condoned male-on-female violence that is spreading like wildfire in our youth and is epitomized in the form of social justice psychosis, i.e. MMA fights with men battering women, total insanity, and an increasing absence and disappearance of reliable and sturdy men with which women can form a life with whom they can form a life, I should say. I will draw upon my experience as a clinical psychologist and psychoanalyst, as well as recent data. So let us start with girls and work our way forward to adult women. The new CDC study in 2021 displays what all of us have known for some time, that teenage girls are in serious trouble. I will address findings regarding teenage girls in general, also some racial differences, and LGBTQ plus IA oh, trends. My analysis is sobering and does not align with progressive, woke, or even common narratives that the anointed in society demand of our neuronal activity. Think free, we will. These data are important and need to be addressed frankly. So here goes. One out of three teenage girls have considered suicide in the 2021 figures, and that number is 60% greater than the figure from 10 years ago. Nearly the same amount felt depressed, and eating disorders are markedly increased as well. There are some striking conundrums in the CDC survey results, as exemplified by the following two quotes. The percentage of female students who experienced sexual violence by anyone increased from 2017 to 2021. Although there was no change in the percentage of students overall who had ever been forced to have sex from 2011 to 2021, the percentage of female students and of white students who had ever been forced to have sex increased. So the assumption that most people have while reading these results is that when high school students report forced sex, that they are referencing peer relations. This is not the case, and it is a mistake to think that it is, 
actually true. In fact, peer-to-peer sexual contact has reduced in recent years overall, and so it would be odd if the rates of peer-to-peer rapes and sexual assaults would have somehow increased. As a clinical psychologist, I have a sense as to what has happened. We locked children in place for a very long time during COVID, and guess what? The rate of in-home molests and rapes increased. This is dramatically higher also, it must be said, in residences which domicile non-biologically related men rather than the biological father. Another survey result that lines up with clinical experience is that a much greater number of gay and students who identify as the opposite sex report having been forced to have sex. The public dialogue has never been comfortable addressing this matter, and clinicians often shy away from it, but it is generally found across clinical practices that gay and what are now called transgender or queer patients have a much greater likelihood of having some form of sexual assault in their history. I think nobody wants to talk about this because the topic requires us to ponder the potential causality between a history of sexual assault and abuse and sexual gender identity, especially in teenage girls. We seem to be increasingly incurious, rather, about the effects of trauma on women clinically, especially with the era of affirming care, which is little more than a non-inquiring nodding of the head of a passive and usually very well untrained therapist. As a related phenomenon, I am surprised that nobody has asked whether the massive explosion in the number of teenage girls who identify as boys could be a reflection of girls unconsciously trying to unify both the feminine and the masculine within themselves so as to have to avoid, that is, having to date men in a world that is increasingly lacking a purposeful role for men at all. Another finding of the survey results in the CDC was that, quote, while the percentage of black and white students who attempted suicide increased, the percentage of Asian students who attempted suicide decreased, and the percentage of Hispanic and multiracial students who attempted suicide did not change. This finding is really not that surprising, and it is another terrible effect of the grossly extended government lockdowns on the freedom to attend school. My take on this finding is that, one, Asian students come from a culture that does not permit emotional persuasion over duty to the family, and so suicide often simply does not occur to them at times that it would occur for white and black students. Black students are more likely to come from poorer homes. This is number two. The average wealth of a black family is $17,000 versus approximately $150,000 for whites. And these homes with lower socioeconomic status have an increased abrasive environment because low SDS and abuse and neglect correlate strongly. Number three, an enormous portion of the nearly 70% white majority in the country also come from poor and abuse-neglect-prone environments. All teens need to escape the home and survive in pure social life, even if it's a subpar pure social life. It can be better than being locked at home. Females are nearly 30% more likely to report depression than men. This is another outcome of the COVID lockdowns. Though women report greater levels of sadness and depression versus men in general, This is a trend that is alarming. 
Socializing for women is so vital to the extent that a case can be made that women cannot survive without proper sorority in teen years. What did we expect would happen at the end of a nearly three-year experiment with social isolation? So no surprise here. There is an enormously high percentage of LGBTQ gay students who report depression. In pondering this matter, the generally accepted social conclusions now appear to run at cross-purposes. It has historically been agreed upon by the progressive-leaning collective that higher rates of mental illness found in the so-called LGBTQ plus IA community are a result of social isolation or social antagonism and persecution. While the data from 2021 does not include a trend for gender and sexuality, like from 2011 to 2021, as it does for race, one could assume that the proportionate rate disparities between gender and sexual identity groups were generally consistent. This assumption rests on the vast majority of other data in the field. Now for the paradoxical and heretofore unaddressed question. If the strikingly high mental health rates for the LGBTQ plus IA identifying students is propelled by social antagonism, then wouldn't we expect the rates of mental illness to decrease amidst COVID lockdowns? That is, when these students no longer have to venture out into what is presumed to be a cold and rejecting world, wouldn't the rates of despair decrease to some extent, or at least maintain at baseline? Also, for the rates of psychopathology, the same would be expected. The even more unacceptable direction of this line of inquiry is as follows. If rates increased while cloistered at home, is there something about the homes of this group of students that causes the strikingly high mental health rates in this group to begin with? These logical questions may never be adequately addressed due to the nuclear sensitivity of the topic in the context of a society that has become hysterical to anything uncomfortable. Perhaps if we all had a fainting couch, we might be able to bandy a rational inquiry once more. In summary to the teenage section, we have done a number on teenage girls who will soon become young adult women, and we should be prepared for extremely elevated levels of psychological distress, mental illness, and problems adapting to adulthood, difficulties forming intimate bonds with romantic others, as well as social isolation. Moving on to women. There is much to be dissatisfied with and demoralized by in the modern world for adult women. I think it is broadly accurate to say that the world is strikingly less hospitable to women in our current time than one would expect at this phase in a progressive society. Some of the coarseness that females experience in the current world is an outcome of well-intentioned and probably globally positive movements, such as the integration of women into the workforce and into the industrialized Western society. That being said, it is generally possible that the wage stagnation that the country has experienced since the 1970s is at least partly due to the fact that we doubled the workforce post-World War II, and as a consequence, we lowered wages. The decreased wage could be broadly framed as follows. We now require a husband and wife to each work full-time hours for enough to survive while raising a child. 
my experience has shown me that women are very unhappy with this arrangement overall, and most of them carry on in this sort of marital economic framework as long as they can, but slowly and incrementally lose functional ability over time. They subconsciously move toward exiting from the workforce after approximately 10 years. At least that's what I've found clinically. This is no criticism, by the way. Many of them have raised children while co-parenting and working full-time, and often these women have to deal with a sense of bleak perceived unfairness, as many witnessed a mother of their own who did not have to work, or who worked in the home and had a traditionally feminine role, as it were. The common refrain from the unconscious maternal envy of these women is, how come I don't have it as good as my mother? Of course, these generalities do not apply to everyone, but these are broad trends that I see across women in my practice. Women, sex, and men. One of the most common complaints that I hear from women in psychotherapy and psychoanalysis is that there simply does not appear to be a pool of reliable men available for dating. It is hard for me to know whether this is objectively true, but I think it is generally true that the sexes are not finding each other with the same kind of ease that they had in the past. Moreover, the modern dating app culture works for men sexually much better than it does for women in the long run. Women, of course, enjoy sex, and they seek it out rapaciously, or at least more rapaciously, I should say, than they did in the relatively repressive times of old, but not nearly to the same extent that men do. Moreover, the level of strange sexual behavior and preference that teenage boys have reported to me in private practice is frankly appalling. I'm not a sexual prude, but I think it is a distress call for society when it is not uncommon for young men to have a preference for degrading and dehumanizing sexual activity. We really need to ask ourselves why sexual sadism has increased so dramatically. What is the aggression between the sexes about? And yes, I am saying between the sexes, because much can be said about feminine aggression toward the masculine though I will endeavor to address that in a different essay. Next section. Perverts battering women. As if it were not enough for women to radically alter their economic behavior while simultaneously raising a child, to run into a world where decent and reliable, sturdy men seem like an anachronistic parody, and to be used for physical receptacles for aggressive pornography fantasies, Women now have to deal with the very strange and extremely disturbing social condoning of male-toward-female assaults. We now have male mixed martial artists who declare themselves to be women and then fight in a female league. One of these men actually fractured the skull of his female opponent. After the fight, the female remarked upon the experience of being totally physically completely overwhelmed in a way that she had never been before in a fight with another female, obviously. And then, strikingly, this battered woman tacked on social justice nonsense in order to undo what she worried was some sort of sinful statement of her objective facts. I truly believe that within a society, a decade from now, I should say, society will have course corrected, and nobody will want to admit that they condoned this level of 
psychotic social perversion. Society is becoming perverse, much like the Roman Empire did prior to its disintegration. And I believe that our collective moral decay is a consequence of our death instinct. Western culture has given up on itself, it seems. And when societies lose hope for moral prosperity, they become hedonic, hedonistic, I should say, perverted and self-destructive. One of the first targets of collective self-destruction is traditional values. And I can't think of anything more central to the cohesiveness of a culture than the protection of its women. The protection of women is obviously one of the most essential ingredients in the formation of civilization, because none of us would be here if men did not successfully protect women throughout history. No society would be in existence. If I have to explain to you why this is the case, you may not be a good fit for my podcast. For the rest of you, let's carry on with discussing reality. This trend of socially condoned violence against women is percolating through Western culture in the strangest of manners. As mentioned above, those who identify as being on the left actually view it as socially progressive to allow men to assault women. This was not the case even five years ago, and those who identify as politically right-wing and who would historically be viewed by progressives as the least likely to rally to the female cause are in some sense the best allies that women can find these days regarding violence and protection. And if you think this is just some sort of bizarre, irrelevant, and separate issue that we allow men to violently assault women for entertainment, I would submit to you that this is being signaled as acceptable toward the younger generations. We now have endless video footage of teenage boys beating the living hell out of girls. This never would have happened in previous generations because another boy would have stepped in and cleaned his clock faster than you can tap record on an iPhone. The absence of these countervailing men and boys is yet another reflection of the annihilation of honorable masculinity, which the feminine needs for survival. So let's summarize what women have to look forward to. Increased occupational freedom, yes, that comes with simultaneous childbearing, which is the same as having two jobs for the quarter of a job in pay, and absence of sturdy and honorable men to pair with, and a perverse society that becomes aroused by violence against women, both in the pornography realm and in, in the arena of actual combat. Is it any wonder that the CDC survey data would find that young women are more depressed and mentally ill than ever? Look at the present reality that they have as the rendering for the future that they're moving toward. Would you be excited about it? If I may be so grandiose as to offer some suggestions, I believe I can do so rather concisely. It would go a long way if we were to be honest about reality in conversation. Part of your reading my newsletter on Substack and listening to this podcast likely represents a gravitation that you have towards straightforward and honest discussion. When someone implies to you, in a roundabout, woke kind of progressive way, that it's just swell to have men beat the daylights out of women in combat or in contact sports, because sex differences can be solved with hormone supplementation, 
or they tell you that you are a phobe of some sort, simply reply that their position is quite strange to you. Consider saying, just to be clear, men have 40% denser bones, larger bones, and superior skeletal muscularity. This is not disputable, and so it is perverse of you to say that women should be the subject of male violence. It's like saying it's okay for adults to beat kids, or for bigger people to harm smaller people, if you will. Tell that person that you consider it perversion when society allows women to be disrespected and brutalized en masse on monetized media. It is actually a bizarre form of gladiator gore. Moreover, let's start making the case very broadly that men and women are not opponents. Men and women are meant to work together toward the creation of a union. Historically, this has meant creating a stable union between the two of them. But as things change in society, I believe that the sexes can still remain collaborative and mutually supportive. This all, of course, hinges upon you listening to Real Clear Podcast. That's only a little bit of sarcasm. Be well, and I'll talk to you soon.